let's get past them today. I think we're gonna do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Man Podcast, where we are on a mission of connecting men in pursuit of their potential. And we do so by creating spaces for us to have these conversations where we can unlock potential and put wind in each other's sails. And I'm excited to receive some of that wind from our guest today, Tyler Foley, joining us. Man, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, Ted. I'm really excited to be on here. You know, I've been listening for a little bit of I love the rebrand and I'm just excited to get to have a chat with you, man. Yeah, I'm excited. And for any of the fellas watching or the ladies watching, whether it be on a YouTube or on the podcast app, who might not have been introduced to some of your amazing work, I'd love to give you a quick opportunity to introduce yourself and we can kind of hop into the conversation. Sure. So Tyler Foley, I am a father, a husband, a son, a performer, number one best-selling author, speaker of warm beaches, lover of fine chocolate, and just general good guy, I suppose. Most people, when they do look me up, always gravitate to the film and television work that I did. So I've been in Freddy versus Jason, Carrie, Door to Door. I was in the musical Ragtime. Wonderful show. Absolutely love that, that piece. It's probably my favorite musical of all time. And, and that is who I am. What was it about performing that that just pulled you in that direction, man? The best music ever composed, ever. I remember being crushed <laughs> at the <laughs> Tony Awards when Lion King won because I was <laughs> I was performing at the Canadian residency while Audra McDonald was on doing the Broadway one. Like we were running simultaneously. And I remember Garth Drabinsky was actually uh, at our ceremony. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I thought for sure we were going to win. And then I realized, no, he must know something or he would be <laughs> in New York. Yeah. And just being really sad about it. And I, I mean, hey, nothing off of Lion King. Lion King is a you know wonderful production, but I think because it had Disney money behind it and because it was kind of a little bit flashier, right? Like Greg Time's a hard one to sit through. There's not yeah. a not a lot of get up and dance in your seat, right? You have to appreciate uh, the a, art. <laughs> you got to appreciate the art. But I mean, it is so beautiful and the music is absolutely haunting. In fact, when I had my daughter, I would sing to her Wheels of a Dream as a lullaby. She's still like, we listen to it in the in the truck. Like we go on, on road trips and we'll listen to the Ragtime soundtrack. And I, I'll alter the lyrics to Sarah Brown Eyes to be Kenzie Blue Eyes and I'll sing it to her. And that puts her to sleep like I, you know, rubber back a little bit, sing a little Kenzie blue eyes and out like a light. (laughs) And I just, I don't know. There's something about, you know, one of the things that I like about it is, you know, it's three distinct stories, three distinct social groups and how they interact and probably the most honest exploration of racial conflict and harmony and how, where empathy comes in to an understanding of somebody's situation and if you judge them without actually talking to them first you have no concept but if you walk a mile in their shoes then you really understand them and i think above any other musical any other show that i've seen even crash i think ragtime did the best job of talking about how you need to walk somebody else's shoes to understand their motivations yeah definitely a message probably more needed to be heard now than ever. And that's the thing about art, right? It's imitation of life and it's representation Mm -hmm. of the real world, which is what pulls so many of us into it. And we talk a lot about modern man in terms of, you know, 
us finding our purpose, right? Like mm-hmm. the fulfillment men usually find is is in the pursuit of of purpose in life. And that usually comes from understanding our why and, and having some of that connection to art can really pull at the heartstrings. And it always, someone used to always ask me, they're like, Ted, what are you passionate about? Like what gets your heart rate up? What really gets you going? And and to be honest, my answer was honestly being in front of an audience, being in front of a crowd. I remember working in TV and we had a Friday night football game and I'm throwing these little foam footballs out to a whole bunch of high school kids before their homecoming game and they're going nuts. And I just felt so alive because I was delivering something to them that provided joy. Yeah. And ever since then, as my friend advised and as I've kind of followed suit with was replicate that as much as you can, because that's kind Mm -hmm. of the universe telling you this is where you belong. What was your inspiration or what was the foundation of the why behind you starting the journeys into performance and into the many things that you've done following? And I was going to ask how old your daughter is, because I imagine there was a different why before she was born than when (laughs) after she was born. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, although, you know, my value set has always stayed the same. It's just my priorities have shifted. What I value hasn't changed fundamentally. Mm. And I think to the first question, what really got me into it? Initially, I got into the arts. The first time was, was just fluke. My elementary school teacher in the first grade made me Joseph in the nativity in uh, the, the school Christmas pageant. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and I got to act out the first Christmas and the first Noel. <laughs> and you know, I just I got hooked. You know, I have two clear auditory moments in my first grade year that profoundly impacted everything that I do in my life. The first one was that Christmas play mid-December and hearing the sound of applause for the first time and lighting up, right? Because like anybody knows who has young children, four, five, six years old, they have no fear. We don't know what to fear. We are told what to fear. These are things you stay away from. These are the things you gravitate to. These are dangerous. These are safe, right? Like we are told what that is. Otherwise we just run around and do anything, right? Mm -hmm. We're not typically scared of things until we're told that we need to be. So I wasn't told that I needed to be scared of the stage. There's no need for stage, right? In fact, they didn't want me to have stage fright, so it wasn't a thing that was talked about. And so subsequently, <laughs> I didn't experience it. And I just found the joy of, of feeling that rush of an audience, not only applaud what you're doing, but enjoy what you're doing. Because when I, when I was playing Joseph, the wise men were coming and giving me very period-appropriate gifts wrapped in wrapping paper, because <laughs> <laughs> that's what would have happened. And I, I was placing these gifts... And as a six-year-old, I wasn't really thinking about it. I'm like, they're giving me these things. I have to put them down. And where I was putting them down was on the manger where this doll that was playing baby Jesus was. And I was placing it right on this doll's head. So I'm taking (laughs) on this kid's head and the audience is laughing. Like it's a natural laugh. Right. And so it, it wasn't scripted. It wasn't prompted. It was just, it was natural and spontaneous laughter that led to just a, an absolute uproarious chuckle and then huge laugh and then big applause. And that, you know, when you experience that at a young age, you're hooked. Mm -hmm. And then almost two months later, almost to the day, I heard another sound that profoundly impacted my life. And it was the sound that my mother made when the RCMP police officer and my family physician 
it came to the door to tell my mom that my father would never come home again. And she made this just blood curdling cry. Like it was a wail of like absolute devastation. Like it, it reverberated not only through the house, but I'm pretty sure through the entire neighborhood, it sent us a, a shock down my spine that I can still feel when I think about it to this day. And I never want to hear that sound again. Mm-hmm. So within a very short period of time in my life, I heard a sound that I will chase for the rest of my life and I will seek for the rest of my life. And then I heard a sound that I want to avoid for the rest of my life and I will do everything to never hear again. And the, the two have really influenced and impacted my life. That has affected my value set, that has affected my priorities, especially now that I'm a father, you know, the choices that I make, even the career that I'm in. I mean, I got, I've managed to find myself into safety consulting and public speaking. And a lot of what I, you know, I speak it really medically. I speak on how to speak. You know, when they ever when they give you that the the little Facebooky thing, you know, explain your your career poorly. I'm like, I speak about how to speak so that other people can speak to other people. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> as basic as you can do. <laughs> as basic as you can get. And that's that's 50% of my portfolio. A lot of that started with my safety consulting because I wanted people to be able to effectively communicate to their workforce and their labor force the need for safety because I know that if somebody had sat down with my father and explained to him how important it was, you know, fatigue management, working alone, things like that, that he may be here today. I don't know. You know, we can't, we can't change that. But what I can do is I can use that story and use my voice to positively affect other people. Yeah. Now, man, and that's amazing that you have the touch of sound impacting that because sounds are, is really kind of the, our surroundings response to our actions. Mm -hmm. And you've literally kind of seen that spectrum in your life. And you mentioned how it played out into, to how you live and, the priorities you set and the values you live by with those two sounds as the bookends of your life, how has the middle shaped itself in terms of the priorities and the values? What is the difference between values and priorities? Cause you're probably the first person who kind of framed it that way in saying my priorities might've changed, but my values are the same. So I'm interested to know how you separate those two. Well, so values, my core values, right? Uh, integrity, honesty, service are always going to influence what I do, but in any given day, my priorities can change. So, you know, my highest priority is my family. I'm going to prioritize them above many other things, but sometimes my daughter is here while I'm recording a podcast (laughs) or I'm doing a training session, or I have to go for work. So now I am prioritizing the work piece over my family, the value set being that I need to be of service, not only to the people who I'm now helping in this arena, but of service to my family, right? This is how I make my money. Yeah. If I don't do these things, I don't make money. So although I'm prioritizing one thing above the other, my value set drives which one takes priority in any given moment. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's recognizing that it's our values that drive our decisions for our priorities. So a lot of men who might be listening might have, okay, these are my set of values. They might be working a job that doesn't fit that. 
They might not be comfortable in it. And what fascinated me about your story in terms of being on in film and on stage and and kind of you mentioned dabbling in a lot of different industries as well, mm-hmm. having the flexibility and the versatility to operate in so many different arenas. I've told my wife this and, and anyone who listens to the podcast avidly has heard me say before, I could be two or three decisions away from being broke, but I'll never be poor because I always know how to contribute to a project, to a community in an effective and valuable way. So I'll always be able to make a living somehow, some way, in my opinion, and and really something I believe. How has those values led to the monetization of your life? Because a lot of guys have that disconnect where I think this is my purpose, but how do I make money doing that, man? (laughs) Well, if, yeah, so part of it is, and I'm glad you started to allude to it, there is a vast difference between wealth, affluence, success, money, and you know, even finances, mm-hmm. assets, like all of these things are words that, that we're often using to describe abundance, but they're not the same things. But because we use them interchangeably, I think a lot of people assume that they are. And I'm glad that you pointed it out that you know you could be one or two decisions away from being very broke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you'll never be poor. I mean, I've never actually declared bankruptcy, but I have definitely been on the verge at least three distinct points in my life. In fact, when I lost my first business, I mean, I I was looking at over $15 million in unsecured debt. Oh. That that kind of happened overnight because my business partner passed away. We didn't have the right director's insurance and I had bills to pay. In fact, I didn't get to keep my company. Like it, every everything literally disappeared overnight. And that was a learning experience for sure. And a hard hole for me to initially crawl out of. And, you know, again, I've got a, a wonderful, I am a rich, rich, rich man in that I have unbelievable relationships with some of the most solid human beings on the planet. My best friend, best man at my wedding and an incredible businessman, Matt, reached out to me within months and said, listen, you know, I can hire you as a safety manager. Because <laughs> when you do what I did was geomatics. And so really quickly for anybody who's ever switched on satellite view on Google Maps, I made the satellite view. It's yeah. not actually satellites. It's a fleet of planes that tend to take low level photography. That's how you get such good resolution on it. And I would stitch together those pictures. They're called ortho photos for anybody who wants a really quick lesson in English conflagration. Taking notes. <laughs> Taking notes. And so when you are doing that kind of work, your primary clients are the government. It's government agencies that want that information, municipalities, states, provinces, countries, and then very large corporations. But all of them have one thing in common. It's that they want you to have a safety system in place. So I had to, as you know, vice president of my company, put together a safety system and when my business partner passed away, I had all this safety training and no company. And so my buddy Matt said, listen, I can, if I pay for these three courses, you can actually upgrade your skill set. You can get this designation, National Construction Safety Officer or NCSO. And then I can hire you on as a safety manager. And it'll take you like six days to get these courses. I was like, cool, mm-hmm. let's do that. And so that's what I did. I, uh, I did a quick little upgrade of my skill set, got this fancy designation and then started working for him in safety. And that, that really 
pushed, ironically, my speaking career because I had retired from acting to get into entrepreneurship. Yeah. Which is funny because acting is just another form of entrepreneurship. You are selling a product, that product just happens to be you. And you're marketing, you're doing all the things. Like it's, I was blessed to have started at six years old, to have had a 20 year career in show business before I ever started a quote unquote real business. And then, you know, that morphed from the safety into the the public speaking and it got me back into performance, but a performance that I could be proud of. Because one of the things that I learned and we talked about values off the top, as I start to get below the three into the next ones, I, you know, currently one of my highest priorities and values is to be of service. But for a long time, I wanted to be on stage in service of my ego. Mm. So it was a need for significance and a need for importance. Experiencing some of these things, you know, particularly the loss of the business, the way that I did, the reach out of a friend who literally saved me financially. And the other thing is too, he did it in such a generous way that it didn't feel like charity. Yeah. You know, he needed my skill set. He wasn't like, hey, well, I guess I could hire you and you know, you'll owe me one. He was like, it would be, I need you. And the way that he did it really kind of opened my eyes to how we as men can build each other up too, mm-hmm. right? Like, cause especially because we have a hard time, let's face it, as a gender asking for help, Yeah. right? <laughs> no, honey, I know how to get there. You've driven past this place four times. We're driving in circles, <laughs> but I know how to get there. This circle will yep. lead us there. I got right? this. I got this. I got this. <laughs> I am a born cartographer. I know maps. I know how to do this. I've flown in the air. So that was a big thing for me. And so as I have, I have evolved as a human being, as a man, as a father, as a husband, my larger priority is to be of service because what I found was when I was chasing the high of accolades and recognition, it was very fleeting. It was very hollow, Mm -hmm. right? A standing ovation still sounds like a standing ovation, no matter how you get it. But if they're just applauding you because you're a trained monkey who got up on stage and danced for them, it's as rewarding as going out in front of people and genuinely changing their lives and feeling that rush of appreciation back where I know I have done something and therefore I feel more deserving Mm -hmm. of this applause. And it's that, that combination that makes that endorphin rush that much more powerful. Yeah. So that's where my value set has morphed and changed. So now I am always seeking to be of service as opposed to to seeking that need for gratification. And please understand that I still want to feel significant. Like it's not that I it's not like I'm I'm now altruistic and I've gone above it. No, no, no. Yeah. I stroke my ego. I have no problem. <laughs> right? Keep it coming. Like keep it coming. <laughs> keep it coming. Tell me. It's just I recognize that if I really want it to feel good, I need to have given in order to receive. It's that connection, right? Of it, it is that connection. Having that impact on someone's life that makes you feel like, okay, I did something for them. Not yeah. something for yourself, but something for them. And kind of, I love how you mentioned your friend coming to help you out. Because I, I picked up two things from that. And I, I hope our listeners got that too, was one skill set, two relationships. We talk about it all the time is, I can't control what happens to me in the world, but I can control my skill set, acquire skills mm-hmm. as best as I can, and just be damn good at what I do, right? Mm-hmm. Put my work into it, 
and show that I'm a hard worker. And then number two, the relationships, because somebody somewhere is going to need my service at some point in time. Yeah. And I, I think we get almost not brainwashed, but we get taught through school and through life is like, okay, general ed courses and dabble in all these things. And that's great. It's good to be well-rounded. It's important to be versatile, but I think the true wealth or the true opportunity comes in depth and in, yes. depth in terms of in how deep have you gone in a certain niche or a certain skill set that you can provide to somebody else? Because when I need somebody to do one specific thing on my podcast, like editing the audio, I used to do it myself. I found somebody who does it better than I can. And mm -hmm. not saying that I can't learn that. I just don't have the time because I've picked a different skill set. Well, on top of that, it doesn't necessarily serve your values or your priorities. There you go. And for me, I, I mean, I, well, one of the hardest things for me running my business right now is the amount of work that I subcontract out <laughs> because there is a lot of things that I don't want to do. And I want to, you know, part of it is spreading the wealth around, but you know, I also pay my people before I pay me, yeah. which, but by the way, irritates my wife beyond belief, Same. but yeah, but we live a very comfortable life, mostly off the back of my wife. So I acknowledge where she can find the frustration in it sometimes, <laughs> but I, as a self-employed entity and now business owner, and that's the other thing. Some people don't understand the difference. If, you, if your business fails because you're not there, you're self-employed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so my one business, if I don't show up, it is literally called SeanTylerFoley.com. So if Tyler doesn't show up, yeah. <laughs> the Sean Tyler Foley doesn't run. And for me, I know how frustrating it is when I have invoices that are past due. Like I've got one on my desk right now that like the accounting software won't even count past 90 days. It's just flashing 90 plus. It's over a year and a half overdue. I came, I did a training session for this corporate thing and they just won't pay me for it to the point where now I get to write it off as, as a bad debt. I know how that feels when you look at that. And I don't want people who are working for me, even if they believe in me, you know what I mean? And they're like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, but I understand it. And I understand you know, there was a pivot and we're not doing these live shows. Now we're doing the virtual ones and the revenues maybe gone down a little bit, you know, because I justify that out to some of the other people that I, that I subcontract out to a lot of the event promoters that I work for. I'll be like, Oh, I know the reality of this. So if mm -hmm. you can't pay me for three months, I get it, but it never feels good. And so for me, you know, it's the, one of my biggest values is the biblical one do unto others as you would have others do unto you. I don't know why more people don't understand the simplicity of that. And I have found every time that I have an invoice that I've forgotten or I haven't gotten to, usually I'm not getting money, right? Mm -hmm. And it's real easy for me to be like, well, I can't afford to pay them right now. I can pay them when X and Y pays me, and then I will pay them. Mm -hmm. And X and Y never pays. But I have found, and this is just my observation, I have absolutely no scientific backing to this, but I have found that every time, even if I didn't have the money myself, if I pay out all of my money and I have that money flowing this way, all mm -hmm. of a sudden, whether it's the money I was expecting or money I wasn't expecting, it starts to come in. One of the beautiful things about me being an actor for 20 years is I still get residual checks. <laughs> the number of times I've been like, God, I can't even afford to pay this person, but they gave me the invoice and it's due especially the surprise ones, the ones where people are like, I'm like, I don't even remember authorizing that work. 
but you've obviously done the work and now here I got to pay it. All of a sudden I'll get a residual check or I'll get like a bonus thing or like I'll have sold at an event and they'll have done their final accounting and I'll get my final pay from Mm -hmm. it. It happens too often to be coincidence. (laughs) You know, money is just one form of energy exchange. Mm -hmm. It's a currency. But I think what people forget is that currency at the root of the word is current. It is a flow. It is an exchange. Money is just one form of currency exchange. There, you know, I, I was at a networking event. A guy runs this awesome barter thing where like you literally have a set value for what your service skills are and you phone up and you you build credits in, mm. on a virtual platform. It's like Bitcoin bartering. It's hilarious. <laughs> and you just exchange, you know, so if you needed web development, you do web development. And here's how that worked too, is then it's not a quid pro quo. It's not a, I do thing for you. You do thing for me. You need web development and I do web development. Now I'm going to design your website. I don't need what you do. Right. Yeah. And then maybe you, somebody needs sound editing. So you have, mm-hmm. I've done a thing for you. Now you do this thing for them. Now they go there. We're all building up these credits. And so yeah. I have, I need a thing that has absolutely nothing to do with you guys. I need an app built. So mm-hmm. I go over to the app guy, but I've built credits because I did the web development for you. And now they're going to do the app for me. It's just, it was a, a crazy thing, but you know it's crazy that ex- about that. <laughs> huh. That's literally like currency was created to solve that and or yeah. simplify that. Like it used to be. If I need a sword back in the day, I go to the blacksmith and hopefully yeah. the blacksmith needs the soap that I make. Right. So I give him right. soap. He gives me the sword. If he doesn't need the soap, then I go somewhere else. I give it to the farmer who gives me milk and I give it to the blacksmith. But the creation of currency was to just simplify it and yeah. give you those credits. And he and now really we're going back to it. Replicated that in a digital platform. <laughs> yeah. It seems to be a system that works. Right. And that's the end. But again, it's that it's an exchange and currency current is that energy flow. Mm-hmm. And so one, and again, it could just be me, but I feel if I block the flow, like if I'm the block, right, I'm not paying money because I don't have money. Well, no, I have currency in the world. I have the ability to generate revenue. You know, I have the ability to exchange. I have the ability to do things. So if I, if I'm, I'm oftentimes the drain. So pull the drain and then it starts to flow. I put the money out and I've told you, I've been close mm-hmm. to bankruptcy three times, but I've never been bankrupt. Yeah. You know, I've gotten very close to, you know, I've literally had an accounting balance that showed one cent in my account, <laughs> you know, or overdraft to the absolute max, but I've always filled it back up, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of that is, you know, making better decisions in the future, but always bouncing back. I want to talk about the examples that we set for others. And part of this was you mentioned six years old, losing your father and now being a father yourself, you know, six years old is a young age and there's a lot of growth that still happens between six to to now to when you become Mm -hmm. a father. How have you built a framework or a template into the father you hope to become for your daughter? moving forward as you kind of blaze this path. I asked earlier, you know, how old your daughter was, and you don't have to share that, but you know, at some point in time, you know, I would always say us as men usually are the first, we're the first man that our daughter, that our daughters fall in love with. 
and we mm-hmm. set the, we set the we pretty much set the bar for all other men. So I'm interested to know your your thought process around that here as as we come towards the end of the podcast. Well, for me, one of the graces that came out of my father's passing was I was then exposed to many father figures as opposed to one. You know, I had at least 10 in my life that had a profound impact on who I was. Some of them in behaviors to model and to pattern, and some of them in behaviors to avoid and never do. Mm. And I've also had the ability to be aware of where I am. Like I am by no means uh, a perfect man, nor a perfect father. One of the great blessings that I've gotten from having a six-year-old is that she is an incredible mirror Mm. of my good traits and my bad traits. (laughs) And, you know, I see like I have, God, do I have a quick Irish temper? I have tried so hard to work on it. It is probably my greatest flaw. And it's, it's a thing that I definitely try to work on regularly. I am by no means a violent individual. I'm quite a pacifist actually, (laughs) but I definitely yell. Mm. And that's a form of violence. And, you know, I remember the funny thing is, is it wasn't my father that did that, but it was definitely my stepfather that did. And I remember when we'd be doing a thing that we shouldn't be doing the first, he would say a word, but it was more the sound that came with it. He'd go, Hey, and I do that to my daughter and I see the fright and the start and the scare. And every time I do it, I go, Oh, I can't do that. And I've slowly started to work on it where she's doing a thing like, you know, how do I do a pattern interrupt without having to do that form of pattern interrupt? Mm. And I think being aware of who I am, first of all, being a father has given me great self-awareness. It's given me an opportunity to reflect on how I got here, who I am and how I want to behave. But the other thing is too, my daughter's again, she's a reflection of not just my bad parts. She's a reflection of my good parts. Like she's been in film and television you know, since she was 11 months old, putting the gifts on the baby's head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Her first thing we did it together was a commercial and they needed a father with an infant. And I was like, I'm a father. I got an infant. Let's do this Mm -hmm. thing. And so at 11 months, and the nice thing is my daughter, like me is built very small. So you know, I'm five, eight. It's how I got my first professional gig playing tiny Tim. It wasn't just a clever name. They did. They literally said, we need a small boy. I'm like, I'm a small boy. Yeah. But like, even my book is dedicated to Kenzie. It says to my daughter, may you always have the courage to speak up for what you believe in and the confidence that your voice will be heard. And she does. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it drives me insane that she does, but if I'm going to put that out to the universe, I better expect it back. So I'm very proud because I always had the ability to speak up and say what I wanted. Even as a child, like my age didn't deter me from saying what I wanted. Now, I also have some extreme privilege being a white middle-class male to have my voice heard. But I know that my daughter doesn't have those same luxuries to the full extent that I do. And to be able to see her clearly articulate her wants and desires, even to the point where a year and a half ago, she stopped wanting to audition. And I was never going to be a stage parent. I wasn't going to be one of those ones. You need to do this. 
you know, you're, there's an expectation. Why? If she doesn't like it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a period where I didn't like acting. I stepped I retired from acting at 25 because I'd become complacent with it and found some great exploration with that. I've come back to the craft, but now I don't need to do it as a job. I can do it as a hobby. Ironically, I make more doing it as a hobby than I did doing it as a job. And I made a good amount of money doing it as a job. Yeah. So, you know, I was never going to be one to push her, but again, you know, it's that value set families first. I want my daughter to grow up knowing that I support her no matter what, and that her values do not need to align with my values. In fact, I wouldn't want them to, because then she's just a clone of me and that would be boring. I know me, (laughs) right? Yeah. Put more color in the world, right? Man. That's right. I could tell that was very authentic and transparent of you to share. So I I definitely do appreciate that because, you know, none of us, man, none of us are perfect. And we've said before, no no man is a template, nor will they ever be, but we we do the best we can. And the fact that you have that self-awareness is leaps and bounds ahead of most people who don't even take the time to look in the mirror and ask themselves how they're showing up each and every single day. And uh, for those listening, wondering, the name of the book is The Power to Speak Naked. We've been listening, having a great conversation with Tyler Foley. And I'd love for our listeners, our watchers, our audience to, to connect with you, man, find more of what you're doing, what you're up to, watch some of your work and also get the book wherever they can find it available. So what's the best link to connect with you? Best place is on my website. And I'll tell everybody what that is, but only if they're willing to do me a favor. And that is if they're enjoying what you're putting together here, Ted, if they're enjoying the Modern Man podcast, if they're getting value Mm -hmm. out of what you're doing, particularly after the rebrand, and they're coming back and they're tuning into this, they're listening to this or they're watching this on a device. So hit pause right now. It's going to take two seconds. Hit pause and give you a five-star review or give you a thumbs up or give you a like, give the shares. If they are writing a review, make it specific. Don't just give a generic view. Yeah, Ted's the man, right? Like, no, no, Ted's the (laughs) modern man. So let's show him the respect that he deserves. But say why, right? What was an episode that had impact on you? What was something that you really enjoy about it and be detailed with it because A, that's going to help you with your rankings. It's going to help your audience because Mm -hmm. if you have higher rankings, you can get some more unique guests that can be of service to them, right? And then you know the content that's actually working for them. So it's only helping your audience help themselves if they give you a five-star review. So if they're willing to give you a five-star review, then I would invite them to come over to my website, seantylerfoley.com. And Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com, seantylerfoley.com. If they do come there, they can check out everything about me. You know, I've got my speaker schedule up there. I've got all of my work. Right on above the fold, first thing that they're going to see is a link to join my free Facebook group, which is called Endless Stages. If they come through the website, so if they come through seantylerfoley.com to get to Endless Stages as a bonus gift to them, I will give them a free PDF download of The Power to Speak Naked so that they have a copy. They don't have to go to the bookstore to buy it. I will also give them access to Drop the Mic, which is my online self-paced training program for public speaking. And as a reason to come and join Endless Stages, I go live every Tuesday for 20 minutes at noon Pacific, three Eastern to 
whoever shows up to the call that week, I do a, a live 20 minute training. And sometimes we have two people and they get basically a semi-private lesson with me. Sometimes we have 20 people and we go through a really nice kind of group. What do you need to know deal? I always have a theme that I put up so you can see what the calendar looks like the week before. And uh, that would be the best way to, to reach me. But again, Ted, I'm a man of integrity. I've said, I'm going to do that to you and I will come through and I will deliver for that. But I want your listeners to have some integrity too. Please, please, please hit pause right now. Give the Modern Man podcast a five-star review and let Ted know what your thoughts are on it so that he has a better ability to serve you by giving you the content that you need. And so I'm going to uphold my end of the bargain, but I would ask that you uphold your end of the bargain too. I appreciate that, Tyler. And the three values of the modern man is strength and vulnerability, growth, and integrity. So it's all about following through. So very much appreciate that. We've gotten so much value here. I'm actually going to recap a couple of quick points I wrote down because this was the first time I heard the difference between values and priorities, right? And it's important for us to kind of understand the, the importance of values that can stay the same, but your priorities can change and that can change day in and day out. And when you mentioned sounds, those two distinct sounds, knowing the one you want to run to and the one you want to prevent or stay away from, so many of us need to be more aware of our surroundings and and understand the heartbeat of the world around us and listen to that pull and also pay attention to that push. Skill set and relationships, when when you're on your darkest days and for so many of us, it's our skill sets and the relationships that we have that pulls us out of the hole. So make sure you cultivate that. I call it digging the well before you're thirsty. Build those meaningful relationships and build those skill sets now before you need them. And I love how you mentioned having not just one father figures, but many. We all have examples around us. If we pay close attention, we find out what to do. We also can find out what not to do. And that self-awareness, whether it be in our business, in our everyday lives, or in parenting, it's important to kind of look at ourselves and find out how we show up to the table. Tyler, this was hugely valuable. I appreciate it to the listeners, the watchers making it to the end. We appreciate you rocking with us all the way. This is about the time where I ask you to subscribe, uh, leave a rating, hit that like button and all that jazz to catch another episode next week. But Tyler already handled that for me. So uh, I'm going to continue to do what we used to do at the end of the episode for No Rain, No Rainbows, because it is more true even in the modern man than ever. Everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow.